I was reminded a week ago, uh, this past Friday, of why I love this holiday of Easter so much, why I find it so meaningful. On that Friday, I did a memorial service of someone who knew that they were going to die, prepared for it for months with as little fear as almost I've ever seen from anyone who knew they were going to die, and as mindfully connected to what she loved and who she loved as anyone I have ever seen who knew they were going to die. We had a lot of time to talk together, she and I did. And in one of the last meetings that we had, we planned out together her memorial service, who she wanted there, what she wanted to be said, what the spirit of it was, she would have hoped. And she picked completely without any of my prompting, my favorite piece of poetry. It's Raymond Carver's late fragment from toward the end of his life when he knew that his time was drawing short. He wrote, And did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so, I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved. To feel myself beloved on the earth. Easter invites us into the even so. All of us seated here today in various ways, not all of us equally, but all of us know heartache and loss, and disappointment, sorrow and grief. All of us know what it's like to feel pain. The message of even so, the message of Easter, is that these words do not have to be the final words about our lives. That love can have the final word. I love that the great mythologist Joseph Campbell said, the conquest of the fear of death is the way of recovery of life's joy. The conquest of the fear of death is the way of recovery of life's joy. Fear of death is inversely proportional to the love of life. The more we have of one, the less we will have of the other. The more authentic love we have for this life, not that clingy, anxious kind of love that I know, unfortunately, in my own experience, too much of, my own heart. The more we have of that freely offered kind of love, that deep compassion and connection, the less we will fear our mortality. And even more, the less we will fear the mortality of the people that we care about. That is why I love Easter. Now, for some traditions on this morning, they celebrate Easter in such a way as if it was the day, the day that they are marking, that the universe spoke Jesus, finally, and unalterably. That God spoke Jesus as the final spiritual word that there ever was or ever will be. But the universe does not speak Christian. Not exclusively. Just as the universe does not solely speak Judaism. The universe doesn't solely speak Unitarian Universalism. It doesn't solely speak Buddhism. The world is. 
The world simply is. It is we who speak. It is we who with our words give shape and meaning, deciphering if we can the patterns of our lives and trying to encourage ourselves to go deeper. I actually think it's kind of a fruitless question to ask and answer. What does the world speak? What language does the world speak? As if we could answer it by saying, I know exactly what language the world speaks. And having figured that out, all mysteries will be removed. I think we can start down this path of asking what language the world speaks and still find ourselves in the hundredth year of asking that question as if we were on the first day of beginning. There's something very healthy in that. I think there's another deeper, different question to ask. I heard in a song from Michael Franti and Spearhead this past week. The question they ask rhetorically in the song is, what language are your tears? What language are your tears? It is a rhetorical question because tears don't have a language. Or if they do, there's something before any words come to describe that language. This reality bigger than what words can hold. I love that that's part of the Easter story. That before he knows he is going to die, mindfully Jesus spends time with his best friends. Don't think of them as disciples. Best friends. He says, if you want to remember me, remember me while you're eating. Don't recite any creed. Don't recite something. Remember this. The basics, the essentials, the body and the blood. When you eat, do this in memory of me. I love how elemental and how basic that is. It's so much the way our memories work as well, too. We don't remember the abstraction of a person who we love. We try to recall their reality. And so instead of asking, well, what questions does the world speak and we can, can we? fit that most perfectly to ask a different question what does the world need not does the world speak but what does the world need from us and not just generally but personally what does the world need from me what does the world need from you what call is there in the is of life that is calling out to you in this very moment it doesn't have to be anything large it could be something very small Because we know in life that the measure of our meaning is the depth of our giving. By answering that call of what our distinct presence can give back to the world. To give of ourselves most authentically is to know at times the boundaries that separate us from what is. Separate us out into the place of thinking we are apart from rather than a part of different way of asking this is part of the Easter story as well. What stones are waiting to be rolled away so new life can come to be within you? I'm thinking of the stones that block the passageway of new life, of deeper connection. Kind of like a calcium deposits in the arteries in our bodies that build up and build up and build up and finally can attack our hearts by not allowing the blood to flow where the blood wants to go can hope to remove what is unnecessary for the health of the body it is the same for the health of the spirit this letting go this rolling away of the stones is so essential in our lives and i love that in the easter stories 
Jesus is already practicing letting go even before he's gone. Beyond bitterness, beyond malice. He actually prays forgiveness for the soldiers who put him where he is. We have different things we are facing here today, each of us in our own way. And so the meaningful question is not pick up Jesus' cross, but what are your stones that are blocking the passageway to your new, deeper, more connected life? What is it that you need to release this morning? Some of you know the name Elizabeth Lesser. She's the co-founder of the Omega Institute in uh, upstate New York. She actually came here to speak with us about a month before, several months before we even started worship services ever at Wellsprings. She tells a story that for me happens in the happiest place that I could imagine on earth. Not Disneyland, not Disney World, not even Yankee Stadium. Backstage at a Bruce Springsteen concert. <laughs> She knew someone who knew someone who knew someone who was in the band, and she got a backstage pass once a number of years ago, and she met this guy named Ray. Ray was back there because a roadie in the band, roadie for the band, found out that he had just, Ray had just lost his father, and he wanted to offer a token of his sympathy and his affection for Ray by giving him this gift. Now, Ray and Elizabeth started talking, and he told her the story about why she was there, why he was there, and she asked, well, how are, you, how are you doing with that? How are you feeling having lost your father? And he said, well, actually, in truth, I was struggling for a very, very long time until the other night I had a dream, and now I feel all right. I feel okay again. In this dream, and actually Ray confided in Elizabeth Lesser, by the way, it wasn't a dream. He was convinced. <laughs> it was what he called a visitation. He was as sure... That it happened, the fact that he was talking to Elizabeth Lesser, but he didn't tell people because they would think he was crazy. Elizabeth Lesser and the Omega Institute, that's a good person to tell these kinds of stories to. She will tend to believe you. He said, in this dream, in this dream having great reality, great reality to his heart, his father stood by the side of his bed. His father, with whom he had had a very, very difficult relationship growing up, his father was an alcoholic and was not there. And when he was there, he wasn't reliable. It was largely absence and estrangement that marked their relationship. As Ray started to grow up and become his own person and his own man, his father got his stuff together. And the two of them started to reconcile and they started to feel connected again and they started to make up for some of that past and lost time. And Ray, at this point in his life, had become a very successful person and was actually building his sort of dream house out in the countryside. And he and his father worked on it together and they planned for it. And he couldn't wait, Ray could not wait for the day when his father would be able to come and join him in his house and stay there with him. And then one day, about a month before the house was ready to be completed, Ray's father died instantaneously in a car crash, in a car accident. And Ray was absolutely devastated. He moved into that new house with an absolutely just flattened heart, a heavy heart, a grieving heart. And then one night in that new house, there stood right next to his bed his father. And the thing was about the story, Ray kept asking him in the dream, what about the accident? What about the accident? Tell me about the accident. Were you in pain? How hard was it? And Ray's father was uninterested or unwilling to answer that question. (laughs) He didn't make any answer to it. 
Instead, he asked Ray questions. How's your family? What was, like, what was it like to complete this house? How are you? Ray's father left him with one final message. He said, I will always be with you, especially when you need me most. Ray woke from that dream and felt healed. The stone that he was carrying had been rolled away. He no longer had to trod, he thought, anymore that old, hard, stony ground which hurts our feet and our hearts of regret and remorse and could have been's and should have been's and all the things we wish we would have done if life would have been different, if, if, if. All that was past. In this moment, he became a present tense person again. He was renewed and because he was renewed with his memory of his father, who was still with him, he also knew the meaning of reunion, of any love stronger than loss. Marilyn Robinson wrote a beautiful book a number of years ago called Homecoming, and she gives voice to this hope common to so many different world traditions. She wrote, there is so little to remember of anyone sometimes. We have an anecdote, a conversation at a table. But every memory we have can be turned over and over and over again. Every word, however chance it might have seemed, written in the heart in the hope that memory will fulfill itself and become flesh again. And that the wanderers will find a way home. And that the perished, whose lack we always feel, will step through the door finally and stroke our hair with dreaming habitual fondness, not having meant to keep us waiting so long. This is that deep and mysterious hope in the heart that at our end lies reunion. And you cannot preach or prepare an Easter message without asking yourself, as I did this week, asking myself really this question, do I truly believe in some transcendent aspect of life, some aspect of ourselves that belongs to something larger, some aspect of consciousness that survives just the physical death? And the truth is, yes, I do. I have grown in this awareness, this hope that I feel more real now than I ever have before. Not because of Jesus or because of Easter, although I find confirmation for that kind of hope in this story, just as I do in so many of the great spiritual traditions of the world. It is from my experience, from my own flesh and blood experience of being with those that I have loved when they have passed and feeling that something has truly passed. It comes from the experience of people I know people I respect, people who are, sometimes we might think otherwise, completely rational people who will tell me sometimes their stories of their absolute personal interactions with their beloved departed. They just know that it has happened. I believe, or I hope, from the many anecdotes of those who have had near-death experiences and have lived to tell of what they experienced on that, quote-unquote, other side.
I've learned from people like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who studied the dead and the dying all the way through until that ultimate state of passage, and have listened so deeply and hopefully with tenderness to the stories of those hospice workers I know who are with people all along that journey up to their closing moments. Now, I am aware that for me, this might just be wishful thinking. Of course it could be. That's the difference between a hope, no matter how deeply held, and an absolute fact. It's one of the reasons why I agree with Thoreau, who said when he was asked about the life to come, when he was nearing the end of his own life, he said, I prefer to take it one life at a time. (laughs) Now, it's not just a snappy one-liner, this, but it is of great moral and spiritual significance because it encourages us to take the time right here, right now, that we have seriously That we might be truthful to both the hints of eternity in our mind and in our hearts and the hours that we see on the clock. To live between the balance and in the balance of these two poles of existence. I believe that if there is logic between belonging to eternity on the one hand and belonging to time and being time-bound mortal creatures, it is realizing this truth and not taking away one from the other. That we are both remarkable and we are both completely fragile. And that our job in learning to love each other in this way, in such a way that honors our breakable beauty. That our beauty is always breakable. It's actually why of all the accounts of what lies beyond in any world tradition that I have ever read, it actually is the Tibetan Book of the Dead that makes the most sense to me. It makes the most sense to me because it says that if we have experienced ourselves in this life of learning to have compassion, learning to be in relationship, learning to be in this life in such a way that we are not clinging, not always trying to hold on to what we have to keep it, keep it, keep it, but to be in relationship to it, knowing that we can't own it. If we have lived a life of compassion and depth and connection in this way, then that that final moment, that ultimate moment of the letting go we will be well-practiced all along for when that moment comes. Because whatever happens after death, this is what I believe and know at base, that there is great freedom, the greatest freedom that there is in learning to love in this way, in the here and now. Easter is not even primarily, regardless of what people say, it is not even primarily about the immortality of the soul. Easter is really about the resiliency of the spirits that is common to all of us. Jesus' disciples, his friends, loved him. They were disappointed with the how he went away and the fact that he did go away. I love that it's not just about Jesus ascending to heaven in this story. It's that Jesus returns. Love that he meets his friends on the road to Emmaus. He sits down and he he eats fish and bread with them. Just sort of one final visitation, one final moment, saying to them, part of me is going to stay here with you. But remember that I am a part, as you are a part, as we all are a part of something larger. You are connected to me, he seems to be saying, but you don't get to keep me. 
The deeper message here is that mature love knows what real release means. This truth is why two decades after Jesus' death, his disciple Paul could say, even if we know all prophecies and even if we all have all power and we seem to have perfect faith, if we have not love, we are nothing. It's why two millennia after Jesus' death, Buddhist teacher Jack Kornfield could say very simply, very elegantly, all spiritual teachings are in vain if we cannot love. This path of being called into the deeper love of life, which is to say the deeper love of each other, this cannot answer. It is not an answer, not a logical, rational answer at the very least for all of those truly difficult questions, the questions that hurt our hearts. Why is life so unfair? Why does life have so much pain? Why him? Why his time right now? Why her? Why did she get this diagnosis at this time? Why now? To turn our grief back into gratitude. To lead us back from death towards life. Is to learn to substitute other questions for these unanswerable questions. Instead of why him or why her, why him or why her at all in the first place? Why did we get a chance to love them at all? See, of all creatures, what makes us most distinctive on this earth is that we know and we learn really early on that we love what is perishable. Short-term or long-term, we all have an expiration date. This is the joy and the mystery and the challenge of human love. To learn that it can be done with open-handed holding, not tight-fisted clinging. And in this way, we might transform what appears to be the scarcity of each other into the abundance of our love for one another. In another of Carver's final writings, final poems written in the last year of his life. He said this was the truth of his life. It was gravy. <laughs> gravy. There's no other word for it. That's what it is. That's what it was. He said, I've had ten years longer than I or anyone expected. Pure gravy. And don't forget it. Gravy. Grace. Gratitude. Gratitude for the love that we have is the way of release and renewal and reunion. We don't get to keep exactly what we love on our own terms, but that's okay if we're honest about it. We didn't get what we love in the first place on our own terms either. A lot in life doesn't come to us on our own terms. We recognize this when we can say to each other, the people we care most about, sometimes people that we only get to meet for a brief moment in time, and can say to them honestly and openly, and really mean these words, you are such a gift to me. A gift I don't get to keep. A gift that none of us gets to hold on to in the present form exactly forever. But in learning this way of loving, 
and learning this way of being, we might truly be the fullest gift we can to each other and hold out that hope for the reunion with what we cannot hold and cannot claim to keep, but still may be ours. Happy Easter. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God, may we answer the call this morning and each day of our lives to roll away those stones that keep us from that deeper life. May we look with truth and honesty upon who we really are and upon what we love and to know that each day is a day of practice. Each day is a day of occasion for sharing who we are as fully as we are able and as fully as we are capable. Each day is a day at looking, looking back and seeing what can we hold up and keep within us and what must we let go of and looking forward and say what hopes lie on the horizon and knowing that is only by living fully in this day can any of that ever come to be. May we know in this time and this place the path of release of letting go what we need to. The path of renewal, of being found once again here in the midst of the life that we have as fully as we are able. And may we know that sense of reunion. Whatever comes next, may we know it here, may we know it now. The gifts that have been given us, the people that we love, they are here with us still. They are still here for us to share. Amen.